You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hey, 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 welcome in. It's the Revenge of the Birds podcast. I'm your co host, Blake Murphy. Uh, you're able to find me, of course, on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7, and I'll be hosting without my normal co-host this week in Kent Hodder. He's enjoying a nice, relaxing time with his family post-Easter, and that means I get to look at the first big mock draft of the season. Now, for those of you who have not followed the show in the past, this is not something that we do as often on the show. Now, there's, sometimes we'll have a community mock draft, sometimes there will be... Um, a kind of guest looking at a seven-round mock draft for a team like the Cards. But as far as for going out and making kind of the predictive measure uh, for the entire first round, going pick by pick, team by team, that's something I do take a lot of pride in each year. I really only make two mock drafts a year that I kind of call final. Uh, one of them at least goes on this show. The other goes essentially within the 12 hours before the draft, just with that final prediction. So, uh, with all that being said, let's first, before we do that, talk about the biggest news in Cardinals country, and that would be Kyler Murray coming out and talking for the first time in months, perhaps, about his contract situation with the team. Uh, was reported at least over by. Um, I think you can say at least several people online who spotted that he had replied to a few tweets. Um, but this was also on the heels of an important announcement from Cardinals GM Steve Kime. He was asked directly if the team had plans of trading Kyler Murray. He said that uh, the team did not, which, you know, many people joked at the time was essentially the exact same thing that Steve Kime, or I should say at least Cliff Kingsbury said about Josh Rosen, said that, People will argue, but Josh is our guy. That turned out not to be the case. Now, granted, Steve Kimes seemed to know a little bit more at the Combine, said that Josh is our quarterback for now. There's a lot of speculation going on on Twitter. We also had a Patrick Peterson. Um, he's got his podcast that he has, which, of course, is the um, All Things Covered podcast that he does. With his cousin Bryant McFadden this week, they had Chase Edmonds on and discussed a bit of Kyler Murray and his contract. And I think there was some interesting comments that were made. You can look at both sides of the equation, obviously. Uh, Peterson and Edmonds are both players that the Cardinals choose to let walk rather than uh, keep them at either a higher priced or, in some cases at least, uh, overpaid perhaps as far as with Peterson. Once you hit age 30, we've seen the Cardinals let go of multiple players such as Chandler Jones, Patrick Peterson, Calais Campbell being noteworthy as well. And we've seen them let go of a Tyron Matthew in his prime. This is a spot where there's two players who essentially have left the Cardinals, were not given what they wanted to stay in Arizona, and looked elsewhere for work and received good pay elsewhere for work. So in that case, you may say that there's a little bit perhaps of bias that they have towards some of their former team. That being said, of course... There's been plenty of players who have not hesitated to speak out against Arizona as they've left, of course. But that's one of the things I think that's important to note here, of course, and many people did, was with Peterson, with Edmonds, there weren't really that many fans that were upset about the Cardinals who left. And that, I think, may be the team perspective. You can take a look at least at the players who left. Calais Campbell, people had expected perhaps a bit more of him. You knew that Chandler Jones was coming in to be that new sack artist back in 2017. You knew that Patrick Peterson was done his last year in Arizona, and very few Cardinals fans were sad or upset that Chandler Jones walked. And I think the same goes with Chase Edmonds. You know, the Cardinals essentially, you know, people pointed out they chose to kind of pay James Conner instead of him, replace him either with a another talent, with a draft pick, or simply had a number at the Miami Dolphins, wanted a number a little bit higher. The reason why this all stands out, of course, is because each of them looked at the league, looked at the area, and the question was asked, does Kyler finish his career with the Cardinals? And that's one of the areas where Patrick Peterson said, hey, he doesn't feel like they put the team in a position to be successful, didn't feel like they spent money. Of course, this is coming from a player the Cardinals didn't spend money on. 
Um, Chase Edmonds, at least, seemed to be a bit more hesitant, but did at least say that he thought that, yeah, with the way guys move around, he probably goes to a different place for the most part. Many people took this, however, as Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray leaving the team much sooner, potentially even as early as the NFL draft. And I think in this regard, we've at least seen why Kyler Murray spoke up. The Michael Bidwell, at least, the speculation said, hey, it's not happening. There's too much outside noise. But really, that's all from what the teams had said. When Murray then goes out on a tweet and goes against what Peterson and what others said, said, hey, I want to be here in Arizona, want to win Super Bowls with the Cardinals, AZ is my home, goes on at least, refutes essentially um, the notion that he's going to be traded. He even tweeted out 100% essentially when um, the report that Steve Keim had said, uh, I believe from NFL Network, reporting on Steve Keim, I should say, that there was a 0% chance they'd trade him. He said, yep, 100, yep. And he even talked against the likes of Colin Coward, who talked a bit about his character, talked a bit about his work ethic. It's been one of those interesting areas of Colin Cowherd having some slight beef with Oklahoma quarterbacks. But that was a big deal for a lot of people because the way that I think you look at it is that this has essentially been a lot of a big argument over probably some small details. Obviously, Kyler's contract isn't necessarily a small detail. But when you look at how the sides have talked, it seems very much like both sides have wanted to get a deal done, not just that Arizona's being forced to get a deal done, but they seem to at least like Kyler Murray from at least what they've said. We saw in the past when they were cautious about Josh Rosen, they at least have tended to be pretty honest about their feelings. At least honest to the point where speculation was either able to rise or be put to bed, and much of this speculation came from... Kyler's agent. Now, a little bit of behind the scenes here from people I've talked to, either people who had connections, people around. A lot of this, I think, came down to essentially two areas. And the first one was the Cardinals simply operating as the Cardinals do. They will give contracts to players or not give contracts to players. They do it on their time frame. That didn't fit necessarily with Kyler Murray and his camp. In one part, because Kyler wanted to put forth an extension, he's finally eligible, wants to be here in Arizona, as he says, wanted the Cardinals probably to keep Chase Edmonds, a player who he's worked with, has done well. Uh, They've played Call of Duty with, for those people who watch their Twitch streams, uh, they're friends with him. Cardinals chose to keep James Conner instead. Uh, A few million dollars extra has Chase Edmonds in Miami. And I think that this is part of where maybe a little bit of Uh, The area at least moved backwards between the Cardinals and their relationship because from all that we know is that, and this has been repeated countless times, so I'll try to breeze through it, (laughs) Kyler's agent puts an extension on the desk of Steve Kime. They don't hear from the Cardinals, no contact whatsoever for two weeks. Maybe this is Kime stonewalling, perhaps it's simply wait your turn, but the lack of communication led to worry from Kyler Murray's camp, and particularly, I think, from people I've looked at, Kyler's dad. Now, for those of you who have not followed or known as much with Kevin Murray, you can think back to the draft um, in 2019 with his dad sitting next to him, his dad uh, being one of those people off of the set, kind of cautioning him when he was on the Dan Patrick show in that infamous interview in which he couldn't legally or really answer questions about playing baseball or football. seemed like he was poorly prepped for the interview. People questioned, you know, What exactly is going on with this kid? What's happening here? We can see at least overall from people and seeing that it's not necessarily the case of being a, uh, there's there's terms for as far as, but as far as being an overly involved parent, you can also look at Kevin Murray in his personal life. Kevin Murray went as a player when he was uh, in the major league baseball minor leagues, ended up having an extra year of college eligibility left. Didn't like the minor league circuit, wasn't getting moved up quick enough. He ends up going and essentially leaving the team, goes back to Texas A&M, and plays quarterback for them. Now, what's crazy about this, of course, is the rate in the uh, team he was playing for, at least. Um, I don't remember if it was the Athletics. I think it was a different team. But there was a team he was playing for. Didn't know this was going to happen. Didn't know what was going on. They had paid him, essentially, for the most part. There wasn't maybe as much that they'd expected in the contract for him to go back to school and pursue essentially another pro sports career. So you're talking about someone who essentially, in one case or another, 
backed out on their word and moved on very quickly <laughs> to essentially do what was in their own best interest. And I don't think that we should fault people for that when we live in a place where athletics are temporary as it is. There's players that we see who come into the league and are out in a year. There's highly touted players who are out in a year. It's one of the cases, at least, of we call it a mercenary league. That's kind of what the NFL is. It's kind of what all major sports leagues are in a way. So when that all went down, you can look at and see now a Kyler Murray who gets drafted in the top 10 by the Athletics, pays back the contract that they owed him, some $5 million worth, to be drafted by the Arizona Cardinals to get some $36 million. You would have to think that if case the football did not work out, Kevin Murray would want his son to be able to have an avenue to go into baseball as quick as possible. And even advertising and having Kyler be seen as a multi-sport athlete seems to be important to them. So in regards of where it went down, I think what we saw with the lack of communication from Steve Keim and the Cardinals led to a lack of trust from Kevin Murray that the Cardinals were really going to keep their word, that they're going to extend his son. And we can see how the Browns treated the Baker Mayfield situation. Uh, when Mayfield went in, of course, and this has been kind of the main comp to his uh, fourth year of his deal, Browns essentially went through their whole free agency, said, oh, well, we'll pay you next offseason. Don't worry about it. We'll take care of you. Or pushed it off for wanting him to kind of prove himself. One way or another, there wasn't money that they seemingly were made to offer or spend. Mayfield goes out and plays while he's injured to try to earn that next contract, to earn that next deal. And just over a year later, we've seen him be replaced. By one Deshaun Watson being paid a fully guaranteed contract. You can see how the Cardinals would obviously want to avoid that situation. You can see how Kevin Murray would want to avoid that situation. I think what we've seen for the most part then is that was essentially the lack of communication, stonewalling, not calling back, whatever you want to call it, led to the Kyler Murray Instagram deletion, the non-talks, the... Um, the ad back as well as with the Instagram post, we've kind of created that I think what happens is at least a spot where a lot of fans, once the Instagram was deleted, were split. Some of them sided with Murray being like, hey, he's asking for a new deal. Maybe it's being a bit dramatic, but take a look at everything that's set up. If he wants a new deal, if the Cardinals want a new deal, let's get him a new deal. There were other fans who looked at that and saw that as a sign of following along with an avenue of immaturity following along with areas of question marks. And I think ultimately there's been kind of two voices in Kyler's camp. I think one voice, of course, is his dad, who I think is the one who is pressing the hardest. I think that from talking with people, at least who had actually spoken with people, either with Kevin Murray or people close to him, that the Cardinals would not be bringing Kyler Murray a new deal. He would have no qualms about holding out. <laughs> he would say, don't put your body at risk, son. We'll do whatever it possibly takes. Make sure you get this deal in place. I think on Kyler's end, he's just a guy who loves football, wants to play football. He's talked about how he thinks that the deal will get done. But it's not like it's one of those areas where I think that it's the most important. If it was, I think that you're seeing a different narrative take place this week. I think that would be then a Kyler who would be causing a bit more drama, would be saying some of these areas, maybe having some sort of... Uh, you know, different types of tweets. Instead, what we've kind of seen for the most part has been the typical offseason. Now, with Eric Burkhart being in the middle, he's having to manage both of these avenues with his client. And so here's where I think that we, coming into the draft week, I think there's two sides. One would be the Kevin Murray, let's push this as what we can, make sure we secure the deal, get it before the draft. The other I think that you have is the Kyler, you know what? Let's trust the Cardinals. I want to be here. Let's get a deal done. And I think if Kevin Murray wins out, I think that we get to maybe two or three days before the draft. Cardinals haven't seemed to budge on anything. Maybe it ends up being 12 hours before the draft. Boom. Instagram deleted again. Kyler Murray, perhaps you end up saying Eric Burkhart, warning message goes out with a trade request. The hardball, as it were, being timed. Now, the Cardinals have played hardball as well. They shot out a time thing right before the Super Bowl. Maybe things change next week if things go down. But I think at the end what it turned into was a Kyler Murray won that debate between 
with how he would respond with Burkhart, how it would be with his dad. And maybe in some of this, it's even a little simpler than that. This may have just been a whole avenue of Kyler playing the good cop, Burkhart and Kevin Murray, at least, being one of the people on there, being the bad cop, taking on some of the flack, being the one there. And then Kyler Murray saying everything correct, saying everything perfectly as far as you'd expect from your franchise quarterback. So maybe the truth is that all three of them are on the exact same page. There's been no arguments, no discussions. It's just been calculated for the most part, trying to shape the narrative. I think that what we saw here, though, was with the Cardinals essentially coming to some sort of maybe not necessarily even spoken, but whatever unspoken agreement it would be. It feels like that the Cardinals put in a place where they were seemed comfortable and confident that, yeah, a deal will probably get done sometime into the summer. And Kyler Murray himself then could have escalated things. He could have said, well, why don't we get this deal done now? Could have sent out a tweet. Instead, what we saw was the opposite. Um, call it an olive branch. Call it a diffusing. Whatever sorts of um, loaded gun standoff the teams have been in, whether the Cardinals were pointing a gun back or not, guns were lowered, and it feels very much like cooler heads will prevail. A lot of Cardinals fans, in the, a lot of ways, breathed a sigh of relief. Maybe that was even something calculated on the Cardinals' end. They could have maybe said, hey, Kyler, all right, we're just reaching out. Don't do anything crazy before the draft. We got you down, Pat, in July or August. We just, we heard you loud and clear. We've had other priorities. Like, maybe some of it is just taking some time. Maybe not save face, but not to immediately hand over a deal. And as a result, we've seen Arizona and Kyler Murray seem to be heading toward that type of long-term extension, which I think will be good for everyone. Because the Cardinals that we've seen have been in good hands with this Kyler Cliff and Kime uh, trifecta of leadership. We've seen them turn this team around, become a playoff team. They'll be going in and returning a lot of talent with the hopes of becoming a perennial playoff team. Now, a lot of that will start with the draft. Here's what we'll be getting into here next. Going over that first round mock draft for Revenge of the Birds. Um, a happy Blake will get to go through this at least, knowing at least that Things seem like that they may not necessarily have gotten better for the Arizona Cardinals between Kyler Murray and the team, but it's very easy to say that things have not gotten worse between the two of them. And that, I think at least, call it for what it will, is some form of progress toward a new deal. We'll be back right here with that first round and a couple of maybe surprises here at that predictions for the 2022 first round of the NFL draft. Stick around. Welcome back in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Let's go over with the NFL draft, the mock draft. Now, there's a little different to take I'll do for some of these. A lot of people will go through mock drafts repeatedly, go through different team fits, try different trade scenarios. People will also use different information, whether it's listening into podcasts, insiders, talking with people. Um, a lot of times people will even look at different team accounts. A lot of times fans will know more about their specific team's interest and wants uh, than many of the national insiders would. Good reason for this, of course, is fans cover their team all the time. National people cover 32 different teams. Now, the hope that I have for this, at least, is this is one of the tools I go by, is to kind of drown out a lot of the noise during this time. We've seen how in the past there's been a lot of uh, hype around something called lying season, which essentially will be when you'll see a lot of, uh, whether it's draft misinformation, draft speculation that turns out to be false. Uh, a good example you can think of here is, hey, think back to that 2017 draft. You talk about every mock draft before the combine. You got Mitchell Trubisky first round. Some people had Deshaun Watson first round. Flip it around. You got all sorts of information about how Patrick Mahomes ain't getting past the Bears at three. Talking about how the Jaguars may be looking for Deshaun Watson. Talking about how a team like the Cleveland Browns could be taking the likes of Deshaun Watson. And when the draft came out, we ended up seeing that some of the reports about Kansas City adoring Patrick Mahomes was true. They traded up heavily for him. A lot of the reports, at least about what the Bears wanted, was incorrect. The Bears moved up to get Mitchell Trubisky, and the Jaguars took a running back. 
And a lot of this draft misinformation I think you'll find usually cements around these quarterbacks because teams are, for one way or another, very picky because they know how hard they are to replace. The one time that this can be different, of course, is when you end up having a top end of the draft where the number one pick is not settled. And I think that many people have been recently speculating that when you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars, that that is the case. I think that there's commentary talking about how Jaguars could be taking Trayvon Walker at number one over the likes of an Aiden Hutchinson. Some have even mentioned that their tackle, Cam Robinson, means that they could be looking for an offensive tackle. He's on a one-year franchise tag. Usually with a lot of the noise, I always go back to what is it that people are saying about the combine? Because that a lot of times can be the last kind of true source of information that we get because people will be there swapping secrets, scouts ablaze, <laughs> fired up about these prospects, and then we'll get some honest reactions to some of the combine times, the testing. I've got at number one the Jaguars taking Aiden Hutchinson. I think that there's a solid chance they could go Trevon Walker here. There's been a lot of talk about how um, their general manager, Trent Baalke, maybe likes more of the guys that he had back when he was with the Niners. Um, you can think back to that 2011 draft where a lot of people were curious if he was going to draft the likes of J.J. Watt. Instead, he swung for an Alden Smith, a guy who was more of a projection but still athletic. I think at least at this point, when you're looking at all of that stuff, when you've got kind of the player who maybe is a home run pick or so on the table and you can see how Trayvon Walker is maybe a bit more athletic, but at the end of the day, when you're talking about the number one pick, everyone seemed to come away from the NFL Combine saying, yeah, it's going to be Aiden Hutchinson. No reason to doubt that here. I think that the draft really isn't going to start for a few more picks because I do not have the Detroit Lions taking a quarterback at two. I think that there was a lot of talk about Kayvon Thibodeau being the top pick in the draft leading up to the Combine. Some people had issues with interviews. I think there's a team or two that would be happy if he fell to them. I don't think he does. I think that the Lions, maybe some people could say there's a personality issue. I think that he ends up going at number two and ends up being a player that is able to excel for them. As many people have said, the Michigan player in Hutchinson, if Trevon Walker goes at one, they would happily snap him up here. I think that at the end of the day, at the Combine, these were the guys going one and two. At the end of the day, I think they go one, two. Uh, number three at the Houston Texans. There's been recent commentary. Could they take a defensive back? You're looking at Lovey Smith being the head coach. He's obviously run his Tampa 2 team. I would sell a lot of that information given the fact that you look at their roster, you see the need for an edge rusher. You see how a lot of people were probably higher at the Combine on the legs of Trevon Walker. Uh, he's still a bit of a projection, but what a projection he is. He might be the most athletic player in the draft, if not for another Georgia player. We'll mention a bit later. I got him at three to the Texans. Pick number four, the New York Jets. I think that they'd be happy if a Kayvon Thibodeau fell to them. I think they'd be happy if a Trevon Walker fell to them. I think they've got a bigger need at offensive tackle. We know at least for sure that they have not seen guy they drafted a couple years ago at least been able to show up out of louisville uh, definitely just a massive um massive draft i think at least for the likes of uh, these offensive tackles the problem that i think you have at least if you're the jets is that there's three needs that you really are going to have you're going to be looking at um, a needed offensive tackle and this of course is all just due to the fact that you probably swung and miss on a Mackay Becton. You're going to probably need a receiver right now, uh, unless, of course, you're able to swing some sort of a trade for Debo Samuel, who seemingly wants to uh, move on from the uh, San Francisco 49ers as of this week. And you probably need to get a form of an edge rusher. There's people who speculated that they would take a defensive back here maybe this could be a spot where sauce gardner comes off the board i would sell that you look at how their head coaching staff built up people on the defensive line built up picks top 10 picks we should say even on the offensive line i think that that will fit in line with what joe douglas will want to build in new york so that's who i've got going there is ikem ikwanu the offensive tackle out of nc state he seems to be the one player that most nfl uh, evaluators seem to feel most comfortable that will be an offensive tackle. Uh, 
I think that Evan Neal, the Alabama, has a potential to be a better player. But at the end of the day, some people still have seen him projecting into playing guard. I think, at least for the most part, you've seen enough talk of him going at number one, potentially. Some of you even mentioned he could go at three to the Texans. I think that this is a guy who the league will see as a top five lock. Now, the New York Giants. This has been where most people have put a tackle, but their new GM, Joe Schoen, had an interesting comment, which kind of, I think, at least fit along with something I was thinking, too, when I ran a few mock simulations. Giants pick at five, and they pick at seven. Now, we'll see if they stay at seven. More on that in a bit. But if you have two offensive tackles on the board, one in Evan Neal, and one that seems to have been not necessarily a late riser, but one that a lot of people have seemed to really appreciate, which is Charles Cross, um, if the fact that he was playing in Alabama or a high-end school, he may have gone number one overall for some people. He comes out of an air raid type of offense. They have similar grades on him, and they pick two picks later. You count and do the math. Okay, why would you take an offensive tackle at five when you go elsewhere, thus leaving an offensive tackle for the Panthers, should they take one, and then leaving another offensive tackle for yourself at pick seven. I think they do just that would take Jermaine Johnson, the edge rusher out of Florida State. The Panthers uh, are picking next, and this is probably where you see an interesting area because the Panthers have been connected to Kenny Pickett. There's been thought that they could take Malik Willis here. They are essentially, for lack of a better words, screwed the same way the 2018 Arizona Cardinals were. Except instead of having Sam Bradford sign, they are bringing back Sam Darnold. And maybe you're going to be looking at a Jimmy Garoppolo if he gets released. They just have been all over the place trying to find a quarterback solution, and no quarterback solution has come to them. I think, though, look at their ownership group. They're wanting to have a young, exciting quarterback. Going all in and taking a player like this would be very much like when the New York Giants went and took Daniel Jones at sixth overall. But a lot of people had him pegged for being a late first round or even a second round quarterback. I think that the Panthers would leap to take Evan Neal given their massive need for a tackle. That would leave Charles Cross to be able to fall to um, New York Giants out of Mississippi State. And Evan Neal goes to the Panthers to pick before. There is one scenario that I've looked at uh, I want to talk about here with the Giants. If the Giants would be willing to not just go and get an edge rusher and a tackle, there is a good chance, I think, with the Atlanta Falcons picking at eight, that if we see Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis not be taken at six, there may be some people wondering if the Falcons should be looking at a quarterback here at eight. Now, this, of course, has not been a great year for quarterbacks. Uh, perhaps if the Falcons are looking at a quarterback here, uh, the Giants, I could see this being a potential for a trade back. So let's say that Malik Willis is on the board and you are a team with two first-round picks in the New Orleans Saints. Now, there's some draft scenarios that I've run, at least, which, intriguingly enough, could allow the Saints to keep that number 16 pick, something that a lot of people speculate they'll want to use on a tackle after watching their left tackle, Teron Armstead, walk to the Dolphins in free agency. Trade that number 19 pick. Now, they've already given up a first-rounder next year. Could they give up at least another pick this year Maybe give up another future pick, say say a third rounder a next year, and see a team like the Giants fall all the way back from pick seven. Now, one thing that's been suggested, of course, is could the Saints take one of their players and trade them in a deal to a team like the Giants? Say the Giants are looking for an edge rusher. Saints feel like, hey, we've got another edge rusher. We're probably going to be signing someone else in a little bit. There's all sorts of different options that are here. I think at the end of the day that this would be the spot that normally when you see people trade up for quarterbacks, it's because they're trying to jump a team that wants one. So don't be surprised if on draft day you end up seeing a team looking at the fifth pick because of the Panthers, a team looking at the seventh pick because of the Falcons behind. But I think that this will be a spot where we'll see a swerve, an unexpected swerve instead. I think that this is, at this pick, you look at the Falcons in their offseason. They've lost... Julio Jones already. They even have lost their starting wide receiver for the year. Uh, it seems very likely that um, they're going to be looking at a trade potentially in a year or so once they end up getting Calvin Ridley back to, for football. They need another weapon to go with Kyle Pitts and with the likes of Cordero, Cordero Patterson. 
I would give them Jamison Williams here, the wide receiver out of Alabama. Now, Williams, for spoiler, is maybe not my top receiver for the guys in this class. But as far as for a guy who has that 4-2 speed, the ability to separate, there isn't anyone really like him in this class. And if you take a look at this offense, suddenly you've got likes of Corderell Patterson, you've got Kyle Pitts, and you've got a field stretcher now in Williams. You've got the makings of a decent offensive improvement. One that I think will at least maybe not necessarily be good for the playoffs, but will at least be a functional offense. Falcons could go with the best defensive player here, but I think this would be the spot that makes a lot of sense for the first wide receiver to come off the board. There isn't another receiver this year with Williams' uh, necessary skill set. Pick, pick nine, you've got the Seattle Seahawks. This is a spot where I think, and pardon me for saying, this is a spot where I think that people will mock them a quarterback here, but I do not see it happening. Um, this is a team that I think at least has moved on from Russell Wilson. It's added draft picks. It doesn't feel like that in a weak quarterback class that Seattle would necessarily go out and take a guy. I feel like if they could maybe in round two, maybe round three, it just feels more like the Pete Carroll type of way will be to add some competition for their starter in Geno Smith, see how that year goes with the likes of Drew Locke. Then maybe you end up seeing about if a Baker Mayfield gets cut. Maybe you reach out. I think that it's more likely that we see the Seahawks go and find their Richard Sherman replacement in the likes of Ahmad Gardner, a 6'3", tall, lengthy corner out of Cincinnati. I would put him here over Derek Stingley, particularly because I think you've seen it work before with the larger corner. Sometimes teams can have tendencies. He is, I think, a larger and longer corner uh, than his fellow brethren, Derek Stingley out of LSU. And he's also probably, as people have said, maybe one of the cleanest prospects with the least questions about his game. I would put him here at 9 to Seattle over the likes of an edge rusher, considering we've seen four of them go already in the top five picks. Move on to pick 10 with the New York Jets. I think that this is a spot where you could see Drake London go. Depending on the grades, I think that Garrett Wilson will end up being, for most people, their wide receiver too. He seems to be, as far as checking a lot of the boxes for, of what could be a number one receiver, being able to line up outside, being able to have um, athleticism, solid hands. He's got a bit more playability where he can get yards after the catch, unlike Chris Olave. Um, a good thing, at least, I think that we might look at him is similar to kind of how Calvin Ridley was a wide receiver one for the Atlanta Falcons. I think he's in that same mold. I think he goes top 10. It's main, this is a strange because I don't think this is necessarily the strongest quarterback class overall, or I should say wide receiver class. But there's enough demand for some of these cheap receivers right now. And the fact that you have some guys who I think at least people will see as a potential number one or a high-end number two receiver that will be available that I could see them at least kind of starting to have this run here. Um, probably around pick number 10 with Jamison, of course, being the one exception going a bit higher. Moving on to the Washington Commanders. I've got Derek Stingley Jr. here. They could also use an offensive weapon, but when it comes to the end of the day, sometimes you end up looking at players that a team signed, players they have. You've got a Terry McLaurin. They send Curtis Samuel to a deal. They'll also be picking in a spot where they could add another round two wide receiver. They don't necessarily need an alpha. What they do need, I think, is a cornerback one. Um, I think that Stingley could go here. He may go to one of the next two teams as well. He could go to the Vikings. He could go to the Texans. He could even be gone at pick number nine. Um, to me, that is a spot with Ron Rivera. It'll be a defensive pick. We get to pick 12, and this was kind of a dilemma. I think that this is a spot where many people have been listing Derek Stingley to go in the draft. Some people have even looked at, could they take Trent McDuffie? Maybe not necessarily a reach, but another cornerback at this high. I think this could be a decent spot for the likes of a Jordan Davis as well, because when you talk about Vikings, how they're built on defense, an impactful defensive lineman up front, such as Davis, could end up being transformative uh, for them. It's just not nearly as much as a need of a, as for the likes of a cornerback um, or even a safety, you could say, for them, someone who just can help cover. I have a unique scenario unfolding here where you look at teams that may take a quarterback. I don't think the Texans will take a quarterback. The Ravens, I don't think will. That would be kind of a shocker first-rounder where – you could see it if they decided to let Lamar Jackson, you know, hit the free agency market or could trade him for a haul. Saw him as a bit more of a product of the um, 
Raven system, I think that's foolishness, but this would be a spot where I think Malik Willis would fall. The Vikings have seen the guys that they wanted taken off of the board from them. I think that they could trade back from here. I've got the Pittsburgh Steelers trading up, giving up some picks this year and next year, jumping up for Malik Willis. Uh, I think that they might not have to get this high, but you look at the next few teams. You've got the Texans, you've got the Ravens, you've got the Eagles, the Saints. Most of those teams are not going to be looking at taking a quarterback up until the Saints. Now, the Eagles have already done some trade backs this year. The Ravens are in the division as the Texans, or I should say, I should say the Steelers. So really, you can try to trade up with the Texans, but it very well be that Texans may not be wanting to necessarily trade back. I think in that case, the Vikings being a team that could say, hey, we'll trade back, take another corner, get some draft capital for essentially this rebuild with a new GM. I've got Malik Willis going there. It just seems to make the most sense. They've been the team that spent the most amount of time with him. Um, I don't think that he falls all the way to 20. There may be a team or two that you see that could hop them or see the New Orleans Saints go ahead and take a quarterback. Uh, the biggest difference, of course, being you look at the difference between the likes of a Jameis Winston, likes of a Mason Rudolph. I think that that sort of aggressiveness would cause them to move up. And I think Malik Willis, a lot of people are seeing that he's got a lot of the physical tools. There's quite issues as far as for maybe being a bit slow in an area or two. But he's got probably an actual ceiling that may be higher than the likes of a Kenny Pickett this year who could come in, could start, play very well, but would not really have any place he could rise. He would kind of be that type of quarterback who would get you to 8-8 eight eight every year, and he'd get you to maybe one deep playoff run like a Blake Bortles, and then you might see, of course, him tank in other seasons as well. So moving on now with the Houston Texans. Levy playing at Tampa 2. They've spent a lot of time looking at corners here. I think this would be the spot you'd take a corner. Instead, I think they have Kyle Hamilton, who I don't think will fall too far. Uh, he's a dynamic playmaker on the defense. Lovey will play those two safeties deep, getting a guy who can help them in the box, who's a talent, uh, kind of a leader on that team, who also at least has enough ability and range to, I think, be able to you know, move back a little bit, a time or two. He's not going to be necessarily that deep safety. Maybe they end up seeing another type of player come up here like that, but I think you can get one of those guys in round two if you're the Texans. Um, this year, at least, if you can get a corner. Um, I think there's just enough that Hamilton is able to offer that um, even with some questions about the athleticism, he gives them something that they have not really had in a long time, which is a safety that can make plays in the box. Um, similar in some cases, maybe to a day on Buchanan, only with uh, a lot more um, plays, at least, that are there to testify on tape. 14, the Baltimore Ravens, they've... This could be an edge rusher here. Um, I think more likely it's Jordan Davis, the interior defensive lineman goes. They did bring back Calais Campbell for a year, but you can say at least with Calais, uh, he's reached that point where he's probably got a bad back at this point. I say probably as in uh, it's been one of the areas I've heard as far as why there's been uh, some hesitation at least for bringing him back around the league to more than a one-year deal. He's also, I believe, 35, 36 years old. Adding a player in like Davis to the Ravens just seems to make a lot of sense. I would not be shocked if they did take the likes of a George Karloftis here as well. Pick 15, the Philadelphia Eagles. I think when you're looking at how it goes, Eagles have two picks. The question is, will they take a wide receiver? Will this be the first time in multiple years that they take a linebacker? Or will they go with a corner? Now, I think what in this case, the question is, would you rather have a Drake London on your team to pair with a Devonta Smith give your quarterback every single chance to succeed um, in Jalen Hurts or be building up talent that when your first round pick comes in next year, you can trade up to a top three spot with all of these potential firsts. What would you rather do? I think that this is a spot where if you look at how Devonta Smith wins with the routes, the separation, Drake London wins in being able to just be a my ball type of guy. I think that he does separate better than people say that he can't. I think a lot of that comes down to um, just some of the way the Pac-12 plays. He was a guy who caught a ton of balls that last year. Eagles have been so bad at receiver, they've needed to essentially spend a lot of picks to try to get this right. I think that at this point, Drake London's going to be too much for them to pass up, even more than the likes of a cornerback. Pick 16, the Saints get their offensive tackle, Trevor Penning, out of Northern Iowa. He's kind of a consensus first-rounder because of the athleticism. The hard part for me is that it just feels like 
he's a player that there's there's one of these guys who gets drafted every year that seems to be a physical freak and then you kind of dig into it and just something just doesn't seem right uh, one of the plays that stood out to me was you know a senior bowl practice he actually blocked the uh, pancake blocked i should say at least the opposing edge rusher kind of after the play was done but did it right into his quarterback, almost got his quarterback hurt. Thank goodness things didn't happen, at least for that at the practice. It feels like it's one of those places where he's not going to be taken in the top 10 or top 5 like a prospect of his caliber normally would. But the athleticism and the ability to get coached up is going to be too tantalizing for someone to pass on. We also saw how the Saints traded up a couple of spots. Perhaps this is a pick that's being made by a team that like the Giants that traded down and the Saints moved up to get their quarterback. Perhaps this is simply the Saints saying, hey, we can get a tackle and a receiver. I think that the Saints may have taken the likes of a Malik Willis had he fallen. Of course, the Steelers do their due diligence out of maybe a little hint of desperation. Uh, I've seen at least how Mitchell Trubisky and uh, Mason Rudolph have played. That would be a spot where I could see at least the Steelers trying to be a little bit more aggressive because the teams that have needed quarterback the most have been the Falcons, the Saints, and the Panthers all in that one division. The Steelers have been sitting kind of just biding their time. I could see this being a great spot for um, him to land along with Mike Tomlin. Um, and that would send Penning to the Saints. Now, Chargers. They need an offensive tackle. Saints have traded up with two picks, and some people joked and speculated that the Saints moved up just to kind of screw over a team like the Chargers from being able to get an offensive tackle. Chargers could go and take, I think, another offensive lineman here. They could probably reach a little bit. I don't see a Devonta Wyatt going as much or as high as people think. He's obviously the top defensive tackle in the class, but... At 24 years old with some other issues, I could see it being where he ends up being a guy that falls out of the first round uh, entirely, which some people may be shocked by. Perhaps it just means he goes late first is all. But I've got a unique move here. I've got the New England Patriots taking a look here at what's on the board with all of these teams that are picking in front of them, including the Eagles at pick 18, who could very well take Trent McDuffie, a corner on the board. I have the Patriots jumping them getting ahead of the Eagles, taking Trent McDuffie for themselves out of Washington, getting kind of that J.C. Jackson replacement. He's a physical, well-tackling corner. He's not going to get his hand in as many balls as J.C. Jackson did, I think. But he, I think, is a player who will, um, if not excel at corner, uh, he may end up having a long career at safety. Uh, Bill Belichick, at least, will go for the Washington cornerback there. That leaves the Eagles probably without a corner to take on the board. I think Andrew Booth Jr., is someone that people have mocked in the first round. I think that when it comes to draft day, there'll be a lot of teams that have medical issues on him. The Eagles will, in this scenario, for the first time in some 15 to 20 years, take a linebacker, Devin Lloyd out of Utah. He's a player I could see going as early as somewhere in the top 10. He could be a shocker if the Falcons take a player like him. There could maybe be a team like Washington. He is, by many, regarded as one of the top talents in this year's draft. But inside linebackers have, for one reason or another, been devalued. I've seen mock drafts that have gone with barely a linebacker going in the first round, and that just will not be the case. He goes at 18. That at 19 will leave the Saints on the board, getting the likes of a Chris Olave to fall to them out of Ohio State to pair with Michael Thomas coming off of injury. The Saints now at least probably have enough of a dynamic offense where you can say that Thomas being able to hit underneath, Olave being able to go outside, uh, kind of being one of those uh, deep threats that you can look at for Jameis Winston. They've got things put together to compete and probably contend for, they're hoping, a playoff spot in 2022. Moving on to the team that traded back from 12, the Minnesota Vikings. I've got, uh, this was one that stressed over, stressed me over, I should say a bit. There was not a cornerback that was available at 12. There was not a uh, Jordan Davis that I really seemed like I wanted to take for them. So I traded back, and the player I'm going to give them is Daxton Hill, safety out of Michigan. He is a guy that I think could end up going um, to Minnesota to be able to not just man and play safety, but could also be a slot guy. This would set up the Vikings, I think, well enough where they could at least have a slot corner. Now, maybe that ends up being not the case for him. Maybe they feel there's a slot corner in place. But just adding someone to that secondary next to Harrison Smith, I think will be tremendous for their coverage 
Move down to 21, which has the Chargers. Obviously, the Patriots had been picking here. I'm giving them Zion Johnson, interior offensive line out of Boston College, a player I would covet for the Cardinals should he fall there. Maybe not necessarily the number one player I would take or hope would fall to them. I think there's a couple of players who have gone in the draft ahead um, that I'd be fine with. But when you look at the Chargers, they've got a bad need at tackle. You could probably get a guy such as a Tyler Smith, uh, make a trade up at least, maybe Bernard Raymond if they have him as an as a tackle. By trading back, they've been able to get a couple of extra picks to move up for that guy. This could be a Devonta Wyatt spot if they like him at a defensive tackle. I'm giving them Zion because I think that he immediately can be an upgrade for the two players that they have at the guard spot for Justin Herbert. Keeps adding to a tremendous offense. Some have wondered whether they could take a speedster here give him a true deep threat. Um, I don't see them going after Jamison Williams, given that they paid Mike Williams some $20 million and already have Keenan Allen. Um, I think that the Chargers are in a spot where I think they would like to take an offensive lineman. Um, I think they'd prefer a tackle. It just doesn't fall that way. Leads us to the Green Bay Packers. And this is a unique spot because I could see the Packers doing a variety of things. I could see them... Taking a receiver here, whether that be Traylon Burks, maybe that would be a uh, Jahan Dotson out of Penn State. I could see them trading back. The Cardinals have seemingly advertised to quite a few people, <laughs> maybe at least just those who read Peter Schrager's mock draft, that uh, Jahan Dotson, a guy who's probably a top 30 talent, some people have him as a second rounder. Um, they seem to really like him and have him pretty highly rated on their board. Packers taking him here would leave the Cardinals in an interesting scenario, but fortunately for them, I don't have that being the case. I have them going with George Karloftis, the edge rusher out of Purdue. I think that there's maybe another player or two that they could like here. Um, I, my favorite, I think, edge rusher I could have would be an Arnold Ebikati, but he doesn't quite have the pizzazz I think that Karloftis has, given how um, the fact of the front that they're going to play for the Packers for the most part does feel like that he could step in very quickly and replace um, Zadarius Smith overall. There's a bit of projection for him. Maybe this is a spot where you see a Boye Mafe um, or the likes of that Arnold Ebikati would probably be the player I would probably take here for the Packers. Um, I think Karloftis is the guy who will go anywhere from top 15 all the way down to pick 30, to some people have mentioned the second round, which leads us to the Cardinals. And here I think that there's probably most of their board or the players that you would want to see have been taken in this scenario. You're not seeing the Chris Olave. You're not seeing the Trent McDuffie's. Some of the higher players like Drake London. Jordan Davis is a guy that um, if he slips far enough, I don't know if the Cardinals would trade up for him. Uh, I feel like that's going to be reserved for uh, one of these edge rushers that have already gone inside of the top 10. We've also seen Jamison Williams go at eight. We do have Jahan Dotson still on the board. That is the player I'll give to them. And as far as a little bit on the pick, since this is a Cardinals podcast, why Dotson over the likes of a Traylon Burks? Why Dotson over the likes of a George Pickens? Why Dotson over the likes of a player like a Christian Watson, who many people love the athleticism there? I think that a lot of it comes down to when you're looking at the Cardinals and they've kind of gone down the route of building an offense that is inside, outside, and focuses on downfield speed and separation. You look at how they built their team. You look at Hopkins kind of being the typical X receiver on one side. You have A.J. Green being the other large possession catch receiver on the other. And then they kind of wanted to build this Andy Isabella type of slot receiver role that we've now seen go to Christian Kirk and Rondale Moore. And we saw them get a tight end in Zach Ertz. Now, I think what's interesting for this is that perhaps the Cardinals having that jump ball target in that outside role can be one function. But if the Cardinals are able to have, say, two receivers like Moore who have speed can get open and separate, and you see a guy like Dotson has essentially, in a lot of different ways, some of the same traits that go with guys like Emmanuel Sanders, that goes along with um, some other wide receiver twos. He also has some similar traits to the likes of a Tyler Lockett, a guy who will make some of these crazy catches with crazy body control, with incredible hands, and ran, I believe, a 4 4 um, very close to um, what Jahan Dotson was able to run. Uh, 
Dobson, the best way you can kind of describe him, at least to me, is let's talk about him as kind of like you're a poor man's Devonta Smith is a good way to put it. Smith is a guy who at 6'1", 170 pounds, uh, could use arm catches, snag balls out of the air, didn't let the ball get back into his body, ran these crisp, clean routes where he'd sell people. He just knew ways to be able to get open. And that's a lot of what I think you see with Dotson on film. Now, it's not as dynamic as the likes of it was for Devonta Smith. Um, he can get tackled a bit soon, doesn't get a whole lot of yards after catch. Um, there's plays that they've designed for him. But you take a look at him and see that in a lot of ways he was carrying a bad Penn State offense and bad Penn State quarterback. Um, as people have raved about his character as well. And I think that will set him above the likes of a Watson who didn't have the production, came from a small school. He's kind of the ultimate maybe boomer bust prospect in a lot of different ways because he's got all the talent to be an ex-receiver. And then you watch the film and go, oh, he's it's kind of nice for his role, gets the end arounds, is able to get deep, but just doesn't seem to be able to have the feature that you'd be expecting from a top receiver like that. That's one of the areas that could be cautionary, but I think in the right scheme that would work. Pickens would be the guy who I think would step into more of that A.J. Green type of mold, being able to go up, making that crazy control and catch, being able to be utilized as a deep threat, having a sense of toughness that you can see for the most part. Um, I think that that may be, if you're trying to build this Cardinals team around a bit more height outside, could work. But with the likes of Dotson, we've seen at least enough of the kind of crazy catches and athleticism. If they could use him in a similar way where he's able to move outside or come into the slot, leaving DeAndre Hopkins at least to kind of be in that one-on-one coverage, suddenly you've got a 4-3 speedster in Rondale Moore and a guy who at least is able to just knows how to get open in Dotson. I think I would lean for that here. The other player that I would look at, of course, besides Zion, who I mentioned, would be an edge rusher in Arnold Ebicady. If he's not going to the Packers at 22, I would strongly consider him here. The best way to look at him is he reminds me a lot of a better version of Hassan Reddick with some of the intensity of a Marcus Golden. He's not the best in run defense, at least, like how Golden was. Um, he'll probably be having to see if he can put some pounds on. His 250-pound frame might be maxed out. But he had 18 and a half uh, tackles for loss just this year alone. George Karloftis, who went this pick ahead is 19 and a half uh, <laughs> tackles for loss uh, in his career at Purdue. And he just ultimately seems to have a lot more of that natural pass rushing ability, despite the fact he did not start football uh, until a little bit later. And that seems to be a spot where you could plug him in on pass rushing downs, be able to learn a bit from the likes of Marcus, having a little bit of extra speed and burst off the edge. And he's got very quick, violent hands. Whenever you look at the statistics, it showed he was matched up with guys where it wasn't that he was unblocked or it was a coverage sack where he just wait, you know, get close to the quarterback, quarterback starts to run, and then you can tackle him. He was beating guys and getting to the quarterback quickly. Uh, that would be the other player I think you'd look at here. As far as the Cardinals building an identity, it feels like you would prefer for them to not necessarily draft a third linebacker. Never mind, this one's an outside linebacker. You would want to at least be able to see them be able to put together a feature for Kyler Murray. And we saw last year, at least, how the Cardinals having a dynamic offense with multiple receivers truly did make this air raid offense flourish. Adding the legs of a Dotson uh, to that offense, in addition to bringing back Zach Ertz, bringing back a healthy Max Williams, Hopkins, and then an A.J. Green on the outside would be a tremendous way to essentially set yourself up uh, for now and for the future as well for this Cardinals offense, particularly when you're looking at how a year from now we'll see if they're going to be looking at extending Hopkins, trying to find a way to take care of that $30 million cap hit. Um, and I do think there is a possibility that there's going to be some good edge rushers that the Cardinals will find in the second round. I can't say that necessarily about the pick of receivers that'll be there. Uh Another player that would be an interesting fit here, let's say that Dotson goes at 22, Cardinals could trade back. Uh, I've heard that there's a lot of interest in Jalen Petrie, uh, the six-foot safety out of Baylor. He could man the slot. He was, well, at the Senior Bowl. The best way to describe it is if the Cardinals know how to draft one thing, it's they know how to find running backs and they know how to find safeties. They found Tyron Matthew in the third round, took Buda Baker in the second. A trade back and taking Petrie would probably mean an end to Jalen Thompson's time in Arizona after this year, but you would have Petrie be able to take over in some regards as a nickel corner, allowing 
for some snaps while he's brought on to replace Thompson long-term, giving the Cardinals at least uh, a semblance of coverage. Uh, I don't know if they're going to take the likes of a Kyler Gordon here. I think it's possible. Uh, he just ends up being a little bit more raw. It's more Trent McDuffie is the guy who seems to be the cream of the crop. I think at the end of the day, Dotson will be the pick for Arizona, and I think it will be a solid one. He, I really warmed up to him, not just because it was a Cardinals player, but watching more and more, I realized, okay, there's some risks involved with some of these other receivers that I don't see with Dotson. It's really hard to see him ultimately failing. The biggest area, I think, would be if he ends up being you know, too small, too bossed around outside. If he has to move into being a slot guy, that isn't necessarily the worst case. <laughs> We've seen a lot of success for that. Being able to play a smaller guy outside is something the Seahawks did uh, with Tyler Lockett and some teams have done. I think the Cardinals wouldn't be afraid to do that as well. Uh, let's wrap up the rest of this round here to get out of here today. Cowboys at 24. I've got them taking Kenyon Green. Uh, I think that they would love Zion Johnson if he fell here. Green seems like he's a typical Cowboy type of player. He's at SEC, Texas A&M. Uh, big, strong blocker. He'll be able to open holes for their running game and keeping Dak upright will help kind of replenish for uh, them losing their right tackle. There could be a trade back or maybe taking a Tyler Smith here out of uh, Tulsa could be possible. Buffalo Bills, I I've got a little shocker here. I would love to give them a Kyer Elam, um, give them a Kyler Gordon. I think that there's some people who wonder, you know, would they take a another wide receiver here to essentially not have to worry about paying your number two there for a while. I've got them taking Brees Hall. And I think that when you're looking at how some teams have built their offenses, whenever a team takes a running back high and feature them, and that running back is athletic, is able to break tackles and make plays, not only does it make life easier for your quarterback, it can lead to some really special seasons as long as your defense is able to hold up well. I think that the Bills taking Brees Hall on every down back would be kind of maybe a missing piece to that offense. You'd be then talking about Josh Allen with a multitude of weapons, a strong run game. It would be incredibly difficult to stop. We also have seen how teams seem to just value running backs a lot more than people who are outside of there or fans or in a lot of cases, maybe even the analytics community. And yet every single year, we've still seen a running back go in the first round, even in a year where the Chiefs took one at 32. And as this tiny little guy, we still saw a first-round running back go. I, it's hard to bet against that trend. I think that I, I originally would say no to the running backs, not everyone going first round. I think instead with how Brees Hall is clearly head and shoulders above the others, there's not really a good chance that he falls far in round two. I think that he goes here at 25 to the Bills. Uh, you've got pick 26 and 27. These ones I stressed a bit over. I think that the Tennessee Titans are in a place where they could be taking a quarterback. And it's not that there's necessarily anything wrong with Ryan Tannehill. I think it's just age, being able to have a rookie quarterback flexibility. I have them with Desmond Ritter, who reminds me a lot of Marcus Mariota before he got hurt. Maybe the arm isn't quite as strong. It seems like he fits them super well. I'm not sure how the league will view a Matt Corral. It feels like that there's enough quarterback desire this year that we're going to see a couple of guys go early. I wouldn't be shocked if we end up seeing only one quarterback go, um, and that being Malik Willis, though. Just because when you look at Kyler Murray, you look at other players, Lamar Jackson is essentially going into, uh, I believe this is his uh, fifth year. He does not have a new deal yet. He has not been negotiating a new deal yet. Really what's been kind of curious is that when you get a star quarterback, they're starting to ask for these deals like Kyler Murray after year three. So that will kind of take away that fifth-year option for a rookie quarterback. Now, if they add years onto the end of their deal, like how Kyler Murray reportedly will, then uh, perhaps there's still some value in taking a quarterback late first. I think that I have Desmond Ritter going here, and then I've got Kenny Pickett, who's fallen all the way from six at Carolina, it's hard to know where he would go. He's more of a spread quarterback in one great year. He's probably limited somewhat in his upside. I think that this would be a pick to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that, you know, this could be the Jalen Petrie spot that could take a safety. This could be uh, a Devontae Wyatt spot, a dream come true. It wouldn't shock me if they've stayed very quiet and then they draft Tom Brady's successor, Kenny Pickett, a guy who kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and there's some similarities, although most of his – Abilities, I think, are from broken play athleticism, that mobility. That may be a spot where the Buccaneers could be taking a quarterback. Now, this is probably the one pick that I will say 
is the toughest. I could easily see the Buccaneers training back and a team like the Seahawks jumping up with one of their plethora of draft picks and adding a quarterback here in this spot as well. Uh, move on to pick 28. Here's where I think the Packers take Christian Watson. He compares a lot to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Now, Scantling was a fifth-round pick. Watson, I think at least, will probably be able to, if not equal the production. Uh, you know, there's maybe questions with drops and being able to focus. He's got similar athleticism, but his ceiling, I think, by the time when you look at his age and then how he graded out, not just necessarily as um, statistics-wise, but as far as been overall far more dynamic athlete. Uh, between that and a good senior bowl week, he cemented himself in the first round. I think that there's a lot of people who viewed him as maybe a day two guy before the combine, viewed him maybe a little higher after the combine. I could see the Packers looking at him and seeing him as a cheaper MVS replacement, if not something much more entirely. I mean, this makes more sense than the Packers trying to address a bunch of other needs. And since they passed on a wide receiver at pick 22, I got that for them here. I think that they would take him over a trail on Burks because I think when you're talking about what they're missing with a Devontae Adams and Valdez Scantling, those are downfield threats. And I think Burks, in a lot of ways, he could go potentially at pick 22 or pick 28 and be more of your long-term Randall Cobb replacement, doing a lot of those similar areas and things with yards after catch. And then maybe you see the Packers double dip on first-round receivers, I've got them only going with one here with Watson since Zadarius Smith did leave the team. Last four picks. Here we go. We've got Kansas City Chiefs. I got them Sky Moore. He kind of is going to be a player who a lot of people see as maybe more of a slot. I think he's got some flexibility. It just seems like he fits the position a bit better for Mahomes. Somebody like a George Pickens here. I feel like that there's been enough people for the most part in the league that seem to have seen uh, injury concerns with him, availability, um, Obviously, people have had some questions about maturity. He's only 21 years old. Uh, but I think that when it comes to the draft, a lot of general managers, instead of taking the pure upside guy, you'll a lot of times see them take some of these prospects who are cleaner across the board that still have some of that same upside over more of these boomer bust type of players. Chiefs also then take Arnold Abacady with the next pick out of Penn State. I could see a Boye Mafe there. Feels like edge and receiver will be good for the Chiefs. A safety could be in the cards there as well. Last two, Cincinnati Bengals. I think there's been enough talk about Kyler Gordon as being able to be a first-round player that I think it's a good spot for him here. Uh, I think he'll be an upgrade over Eli Apple. Maybe he ends up being a Byron Murphy type who can play in the slot and play elsewhere. But at the end of the day, uh, he's talented enough that... You know, he may be the guy that sticks at corner and Trent McDuffie may move to safety and end up being a solid player uh, in that position. Finally, Detroit Lions. This is another spot some people, I had wondered if Kenny Pickett was going to fall this far, could they take him? I think the Lions may be content to stand pat, build a lot of the team around, and then even if they start winning, potentially trade up for that quarterback or be prepared to make a decent offer if another player who's a established veteran becomes available, available kind of like a reverse Matt Stafford trade. I have Lewis Cena from Georgia. He's probably, at least for me, my favorite of the safeties. It's a good safety class this year. I feel like he can play in the box in center field. He was a super established player for that Georgia team. But that would be it for the first round. Now, some players who are not selected, of course, uh, linebackers, Nakobe Dean, Quay Walker, uh, obviously there's no Matt Corral. Uh, there's a couple of receivers I think who've slipped that some people might see like the Pickens. You're talking about also some offensive linemen who could go late. And, uh, of course the biggest thing that you can say that's pointing out from this draft is you got one, two, three, four, uh, five, six, seven first round wide receivers. I think that six is probably the right answer but it would probably depend on a team such as um, the Chiefs using picks to trade up uh, and perhaps a team like the Atlanta Falcons going with the defensive player instead of Jamison Williams at eight. So that's kind of where I have. It's probably going to be different from most of the mock drafts you've seen, partially because of some of those trades and being aggressive for the quarterbacks. Uh, but let me know what some of the thoughts were. For the most part, this will be posted at least on revengeofthebirds.com. Uh, for you to be able to enjoy. Uh, we'll be able to see when we come back next week with kind of that final mock draft. That'll be going out on my Twitter account, at BlakeMurphy7. Thanks again for tuning in. Um, we have uh, find out in a week or so whether the projection of Jahan Dotson to the Cardinals ends up being correct. 
Um, we'll find out if a player um, of the Cardinals like will fall enough for them to trade up or if they end up kind of moving back for the most part to try to see if they can strengthen elsewhere or see their board get picked clean. It's always a fun time, uh, especially fun time when you've got um, a little bit more security, um, even if it's just in words only, uh, for people in the Kyler Murray scenario. Thanks again for tuning in. This has been the ROTV Pod.